0: This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellas and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Jack
1: Lazorco, pitcher for the California Angels, card number
0: 601. Okay, Jack Lazorco. David, I'm going to be honest here and say I've never heard of Jack Lizorco. How did he how did he get into the queue at this point?
1: That's exactly why he got into the queue. <laughs> <laughs> was looking for cards of players that I had no idea who they were and nothing as far as a background. And in fact, as I was flipping through my binder of 1988 tops cards, the name Jack Lazorco showed up, and I said, I have never heard of that name. But, Matt, I've looked through this binder a hundred times. I put all of these cards in the binder. I've definitely looked at this card before, and I think every time I've looked at it, I've said, I have no idea who Jack Lazorco is, and then kept scrolling. So I I decided, let's learn about Jack Lazorco.
0: I think it is as good a reason as any, although I will mention to... The listeners that we do take requests and if you have a card that you have heard of that you'd like us to talk about you can reach out to us on twitter at tops 1988 we do still have a
1: few of those to get through but jack Lazorco turned out to be a, a pretty interesting story it
0: seems to happen every time david the <laughs> the guys we think there's not much of a story to tell here we are always proven wrong
1: we normally do such big stars as paul nochi and ty griffin And, you know, big names, only the big names here.
0: This is, I think, going to be Kirk McCaskill quality today. I really can't wait for multiple reasons. I think this is a Kirk McCaskill-esque show coming up. So let's go to the front of 601, and we see Jack Lazorco in mid-delivery, right-handed pitcher. He is intently focused on home plate. He's got his glove rotated, ready to throw a pitch. He's a little bit stockier
1: than the other pitchers that we've talked about, particularly the other angels that we've talked about. I think we had Don Sutton and Kirk McCaskill were the two angels that we've done thus far. And we recently talked about Jack McDowell. All those guys seem taller and slimmer than Jack. He's not short. But I'll say he's he's built like a hockey
0: goalie. <laughs> Funny you mention that, David, as we will find out that Jack was fantastic between the pipes and on the mound was prolific in the number of teams that he played for. But <laughs> as far as appearances, I think you're right. He, he does not look like a typical pitcher that we've covered, you know, who are all seemingly all over six feet, some of them as tall as 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Uh, Jack Lazorco turns out as we go to the back, is 5'11", 195, right-handed batter and thrower. Drafted by the Astros in the 11th round. Born March 30th, 1956, in Hoboken, New Jersey, with a home in Rowlett, Texas. Jack was born in Hoboken, but grew up in River Edge, New Jersey. Mm. Which... Any, any connection to Frank Sinatra at all? <laughs> The most famous person from Hoboken.
1: I'm not sure, but is River Edge, is that referenced at all in Bruce Springsteen's The River? Mm, Could be. I'm sure it is. I'm sure there's a Gaslight Anthem song about River (laughs) Edge. People from or connected with River Edge include Freddie Hoffman, who has ridden his bike over a million miles to raise money to fight leukemia, and Gene Roddenberry, who lived Mm. there for a time. Uh, I think Mickey Mantle also lived in River Edge, New Jersey at one point. Jack went to Riverdale High School. Riverdale alumni include NFL coach Bill Parcells, Ginny Capicchioni, a lacrosse goalkeeper and the first female player in the National Lacrosse League, and 1974 ABA champion Billy the Whopper Pulse, who was known for his shot-blocking ability. So we have both Big Tuna and the Whopper coming <laughs> out of Riverdale. And... All those people have uh, defensive prowess in common, as did Jack Lazorco. He was a hockey goalkeeper in high school. He also was a very good football player. He rushed for 1,000 yards as a fullback in nine games on the football field. So I guess you yeah, have that. Maybe I should have said he's built like a fullback here. Mm. I can see that or a goalkeeper. But he was also a very good baseball player. He hit four forty four his senior year. He was a third baseman and was a highly rated third base prospect by college scouts as well as pro scouts. And a New York Times article at the time pointed out that he was expecting to be an early draft selection. They pointed out his defensive prowess at third base, making diving grabs, uh, snagging line drives. And he said if he didn't get drafted early, he would go to Farley Dickinson College. And those expectations didn't quite pan out right away. I'm I'm not entirely sure what happened, but he was not drafted out of high school. Something happened between that May 24th article and the June draft, and Jack didn't get selected. Instead, he would start a baseball journey that would go on for 20 20 or so years uh, going down to Miami-Dade Community College. We've talked about this community college program on past episodes. They've turned out great players from Steve Carlton to Mike Piazza to Oda B. McDowell and Ozzy Canseco. While at Miami-Dade, Jack was drafted three times but didn't sign. Instead, he transfers to Mississippi State. And Mississippi State would go on in the 80s to have some fantastic baseball teams and players, including Will Clark and Bobby Thigpen and Rafael Palmero. But when Jack was there, he was their pitching MVP in their 77 and 78 seasons. He went 10-2 and 8-3 and and with ERAs under three in both seasons.
0: Yeah, and looking at this, David, not only does he help his college team make the College World Series and is a leader on his college team, he also played for Team USA in the Intercontinental Cup in a tournament that the USA finished second in, and Jack didn't concede a run. In that College World Series in 1978, Mississippi State was knocked out by Baylor. They ended up winning the, World, the College World Series in 2021 uh, this year, so congrats to the Bulldogs. But a very successful college career at those multiple locations. Jack ends up graduating with a business degree and met his wife there. After that senior
1: season, he gets picked in the 11th round by the Astros. And this long baseball road trip continues or I guess restarts, he spent two years in Miami, two years in in Mississippi State, and for the next many years, he wouldn't spend two straight years in the same place. Between 1978 and 1984, in stuff that doesn't show up on the back of this card, he played between rookie ball and AAA for eight different teams in the Astros, Rangers, and Brewers organizations, the Rangers bought him from the Astros in 1979 and then later released him. And he played for teams like the El Paso Diablos, the Tulsa Drillers, the Wichita Arrows, and the Asheville Tourists.
0: The Asheville Tourists is a fantastic name for a team. Just think of a mascot as a person who's just in your town to visit it. Just trying to think of what that mascot looks like.
1: So... Oddly, when I visited Asheville, I very nearly bought an Asheville tourist hat, but I felt like it was, it almost looked too much like me as a tourist in Asheville. (laughs) The hat has like a round face with Wayfarer sunglasses on it and a baseball cap, which is basically my look.
0: Yes. Oh, I love it.
1: I did not buy it, but it's a, it's a very cool hat. I just felt like it was like I was wearing a hat of, of me.
0: It's, it's like the Miami Dolphins, where the logo on the helmet is a dolphin wearing a helmet. And is there a dolphin on the Dolphins helmet? If you zoom in close enough, you can kind of make it out. Well, just to summarize quickly, David, I don't want to break the fourth wall too much, but listener, like you're about to experience, I think, the player who has played for the most places, the most obscure places, so many teams, so many leagues... Dozens and dozens and dozens of teams. And his wife
1: said very early on in their dating, she she said she should have known because she met him in Florida. And then within a couple days, he was sold from the Astros to the Rangers. And she said she should have known, but she had a really good outlook and was very supportive of Jack's career and this path that really couldn't have been easy for Jack for his wife for their family. But Jack is a player. He started out as a third baseman and then became a pitcher in college. And by the time he was in Double A, he's used as a reliever, sometimes as a closer. But by the time he gets up to the pros, he's just a solid journeyman, not giving up many home runs, not getting many strikeouts. And by the time he's like 28 years old, he's already been all over the place and is in AAA, Vancouver he plays in 28 games has a 1.101 whip and he earns his first call-up
0: yeah it's it's just such an unusual story compared to the stars that we normally talk about and even some of the guys that that don't play very long in the major leagues they're they're with one team and hopefully make it and get called up but but Jack has gone through all four years of college and and then has gone through several different organizations. And here he is at 28 years old. And his wife, Brenda, describes the call-up to the majors. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty hilarious. He's playing for Vancouver. He's on a road trip in Hawaii. And his wife and kids are there. This is actually a pretty nice AAA baseball lifestyle that you get to go to some nice places like Vancouver and Hawaii. But they only have one suitcase. Jack takes it. And he gets the call-up that he's going to the majors. And so he has to take the suitcase. <laughs> so the family has to left behind has to buy another suitcase in order to get home. <laughs> and the surprise of that
1: call-up, I guess it shouldn't have been too surprising. This Brewers team was terrible. They would only win 67 games. I found an article that said injuries decimate Brewers pitching staff and includes the words Jack who? So it was just as much a surprise to the Brewers' management that Jack Lazorco was in their minor league system. He was called up the morning of his debut and came out of the bullpen. He pitched four innings and gave up only one run in a loss. But the manager said that Jack was basically the last guy on the bench other than Raleigh Fingers. And if it had been a blowout, he would have gone with a utility player pitching instead of Jack. And in his first few games, it didn't go well and he played kind of like a triple a journeyman he came into a game with runners on base seven times and all seven runners scored and he ended up getting sent back down uh, for the month of july and called back up in august
0: getting called back up in august leads to one of the fun facts that's on the card the first one being that he had made his major league debut june 4th 1984 but now this one that he gained his first major league save, August 25th, 1984, and that is in this game against the Rangers. He got one out
1: in a 7-6 to six win, and this is also three days after making his first big league start. So, of course, the Brewers don't have enough pitchers. Sometimes Jack Lazorco, minor league relief pitcher, minor league closer, is starting. Sometimes he's closing games, and... He ended up pitching in 15 games that season. He had a 4.31 ERA in 39 innings. He was fine. And the remainder of that season, he had turned around that trend of letting in every runner that he inherited. (laughs) Uh, But this team was 1 in 14 in games that he appeared in. So he was doing mop-up duty and just taking up a spot on the bench. And at the end of 1984, the Brewers granted him free agency.
0: In 1985, he signs as a free agent with the Giants, gets assigned to AAA Phoenix, and didn't play for the Giants in the major leagues at all, ends up getting bought by the Seattle Mariners in June, and finally gets called up in August of 1985 and plays in 15 games for Seattle. And he stayed with
1: Seattle through the end of the season, again granted free agency, again signed to another AAA contract, this time in Nashville. And he ends up getting switched to a starter. He starts 18 games. This is the most of his career up to this point. He had a 3.20 ERA in 154 innings. He was called up for one week to the Tigers, pitched in three games, (laughs) and then was granted free agency after the 86 season.
0: 87, again, signs with a different team, this time the Angels, and that's the team on the front of this card. He joins fellow hockey player, Kirk McCaskill. And these are kind of the salad days for Jack Lazorco, where he's got a full five months of 1987 major league baseball, his longest stint in the majors. And he finally gets a win. June 4th, 1987, his first win. And he's 31 years old at this point. But David, I think the real highlight of this year and really the highlight of Jack Lazorco's baseball career. Was a clip from This Week in Baseball detailing a game against the Brewers that listeners, I, I really encourage you to watch because you get to see Jack Lazorco's hockey goalie skills in full effect. Lazorco was the goalie on his high school hockey team, he won just five games in the majors. But you know he had one game that earned him a spot in the Twib Hall of Fame. Hit back up the middle. Nice play by Lazorco. Oh, we talked about that earlier. What a cat he is on the mound. And gonna try to butt again. Lazorco, you're not gonna get it by him. Two great plays by Lazorco. Right back at Lazorco, he does it again. Close save. Boy, he looked like a hockey goalie, didn't he, going down that time? Well, i tell you, don't hit anything up the middle today. A routine day for your average goalie, but for a pitcher, well, it's more like one in a million.
1: It must have been pretty odd to have this 31-year-old journeyman pitcher featured on This Week in Baseball, and he looks so athletic. He is diving. He's making kick saves. He is fielding his position as good as anybody. And there's something very cool about this, but there's also something that is a little bit desperate, that shows a little bit of desperation and a little bit of a guy fighting for his career with every pitch. And Jack Lazorko knows he might go back down to Edmonton. And in his time in California, he bounces between Edmonton and Anaheim back and forth for three seasons. And I think there's a an element of this that he was a very good fielder for a pitcher. He uses those hockey skills, but also you don't see a lot of pitchers diving. Right. And you don't see a lot of pitchers <laughs> getting covered in dirt by the end of the
0: inning. I think that this write-up by Peter Gammons says a lot about what's going on in this clip. And so... In a, an article about pitchers and their defensive skills, sports writer Peter Gammon says, who's the best modern defensive pitcher? Maybe Jim Cott or Ron Guidry, Bill Swift, Jim Palmer... Actually, it might have been Jack Lazorco. He pitched for Milwaukee, Seattle, Detroit, and California, and in five years won five games. But anyone who ever saw him could never forget him. Lazorco was a terrific high school hockey goalie in New Jersey and had the capacity to make sprawling kickstops on balls hit through the middle. And there were a lot of rockets hit through the box against Jack Lazorco. Watching this game, David, takes you back to a time when, although 1987 had a a very lively ball and there were a lot of home runs hit, it felt like Jack Lazorko was trying his very, very hardest to keep the ball on the ground and make plays himself because otherwise, if it was getting hit in the air, it was going out of the park. (laughs) It did feel like he was doing whatever he could to try to keep his ERA down and, and stay there and scrap out a win.
1: It almost reminds me of the video from a couple years back of a goalie who's standing in a soccer game and just keeps getting the ball hit directly at his face and he keeps making <laughs> saves with his face.
0: <laughs>
1: it just seems like Jack Lazorco, the ball keeps coming up the middle and he keeps having to dive and you just see this like both determination but also like, I have to do this again. I have to do this again. And he had five assists in this in this single game which i thought was a lot but then i looked up and the record is 11 but that record was from 1923 and stan kavelsky you know a lot of guys early in the century had ground balls back up the middle to the pitcher not probably nearly as hardly hit as these balls that are hit at jack lazorco
0: yeah these are all these are all sharp ground balls that would be much more easily fielded by the second baseman <laughs> or the shortstop but each time like jacks just he's making dives dives left and right yeah each leg his thigh he's is covered in dirt so it's pretty great so check it out moving up to 1988 he's still with the angels he split time between edmonton and california pitched 10 games with the angels and a 3.35 era in 37 innings those are his last appearances in the majors he spent some time in edmonton that year going 11 and 8 in
1: 21 starts at AAA. And in 1989 he's back at Edmonton. His ERA is over 5. He signs a AAA deal in 1990 with Seattle, again with an ERA over 5. And then he had a little break in in at least in his Baseball Reference career here between 1990 and 1993. And he spent that time trying to get back on track. He said, I just want a little more, just to prove that I was a real contributing big league player and not a fringe guy. Jack knew that he could do it. He had done it. He had been in the majors, but he wasn't getting a lot of chances and he needed maybe a change of scenery. He played for a little while in Nicaragua for a team in Managua, where he and his teammates were protected by soldiers with machine guns. And then he spent a couple of seasons in Italy. And in Italy, he won the Scudetto in Parma in 1991 and was the Italian League MVP. Whoa! I'm interested in what the quality of baseball there was like. I've, I've never watched a Italian League baseball game, but Jack said the quality of play was comparable to AAA. But looking at his stats, maybe not. You know, his last season in 1990, his ERA was over five in AAA in Italy he went twenty-five and five with a one point six oh ERA and had a two point oh one ERA in nineteen ninety-two. But also the Italian managers just made pitchers work. And he said that the American pitchers got no relievers. <laughs> he pitched You're just out there on your own. <laughs> yes. And for the entirety of the game. He said he pitched both games of the European Championship in one day throwing 185 pitches. That's crazy. So I guess if you just need to throw pitches, if you just want to work on building your arm strength, but at this point, you know, Jack's a 34, 35-year-old guy, and the Italians are happy to have a guy eat up innings, and with that kind of pedigree and background in American baseball, Jack was, was really good in the Italian league.
0: It seemed like a really great experience to be able to live in Europe. He said he made close to six figures in salary. They gave him a car and an apartment. And the only thing he had to pay for was food and gas. And, you know, gas is expensive, but otherwise, you know, what else are you going to do? And he played in a tournament in Skellefteå, Sweden. <laughs> yes, that's a three-hour drive
1: from the North Pole.
0: That's... <laughs> Don't expect a lot of baseball up that far north, but um, I wonder if the ball carries differently at the pole, David. We'll, we'll see. We'll check with, uh, maybe we'll check with the physics department on that one. So 1993, after his, you know, these excursions around the world, he decides to give it another try, tries to make it back to the majors, and he calls his Mississippi State roommate, Buck Showalter, and signs a minor league deal. He spent a lot of this time racking up phone bills,
1: calling front offices, leaving messages saying, this is Jack Lazorco, They know what I'm calling about. <laughs> a lot of times his calls never got returned. He wrote letters and called up old friends who, by the 90s, were managing. His wife and kids would pack up and they'd go wherever Jack went. And he chased down this dream for close to 20 years. And it's kind of an enviable baseball life to be able to live in Italy, to live all over the world. And his wife, Brenda, said every year they say this year won't be crazy like the last one. And every year turns out to be crazy like the last one, only more. By 1993, Jack said they start with plan A and plan B. And by that year, he was on plan double Z. Plan (laughs) double Z that year was Pitching two games at AAA Norfolk in the Mets system and then getting released. Went on to pitch for Sun City in the Florida Senior League by age 39. I think he
0: finally gave up in the mid-90s. So closing the book on Jack Lazorko's Major League career, I think seven, if I'm counting right, seven different organizations, a 5-8 and eight record with two saves and a 4.22 ERA and 69 appearances. He played 14 different seasons in the minor leagues, pitching in 436 games, (laughs) earning 56 saves and a 71-54 and record. What's he up to now? He helped
1: start the Texas-Louisiana Independent Baseball League, now known as the American Association, as the Director of Baseball Operations, and later was Director of Camps and Clinics for the Texas Rangers. He also at one point hosted the Rangers postgame show, for a radio station in Texas and published a weekly sports column in the Arlington Morning News. He spent some time as a color commentator for Big 12 and Conference USA NCAA baseball games. And for the last 10 years, he's also been the president of the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association in Dallas-Fort
0: Worth. It also, David, looks like he's running Lazorco Enterprises, which is pretty exciting. Event planning, golf outings, gaming tournaments, clinics, a little bit of everything. And let me kind of give my final thought on this guy. And then I want to ask what you think. I love Jack Lazorko. I love the hustle. I love this kind of story of someone who was an all-around talent, but didn't really excel at anything, but tried really hard and hustled for every opportunity he could get. You know, the thought of moving 50 to 60 times during your adult life is, uh, that just gives me such an icky feeling of being unsettled. But for some people, like that's the right thing to do is to try to chase it as much as you can because he had a special talent in pitching, but also had these other skills and was willing to do anything to succeed and to, you know, provide for his family and to, you know, make a living any way he could. And the fact that now later in career, his career, he's using every connection he had from his playing days and every other kind of skill he's got, and really just living life to the fullest and leaving no stone unturned, I, I think is pretty cool.
1: I agree. And we often talk about how we're in a different time in baseball now. In Jack's early career, he was earning $500 a month. The most he ever made was $125,000 on a minor league deal with Edmonton. In those early years, he was making ends meet however he could. He was selling radio advertising. He was selling meat from the back of a truck. His family set up a permanent residence in Texas, but Jack would go wherever his services were needed. And partially, I don't know if that's chasing down a dream or if it's just because you have a job to do and you're a pitcher, so you will go where they need you to pitch. While Jack was getting something back from baseball in terms of being able to set up a life for himself, he also was getting this experience for himself and for his family moving around the world. His one son spent his ninth birthday climbing the Matterhorn, and his tenth birthday was spent in Egypt because from their base in Italy, they could travel all over Europe and all over that region of the world. And this career is like, is overwhelming in (laughs) not in the way that like Charlie Huff or Don Sutton or those are overwhelming, but just in the number of moves, the distance traveled, the duration and the persistence. And I think that there is a grittiness in Jack Lazorco's life and that Matt, you touched on a little bit and that hustle. And not only is that hustle on the field, but that hustle is off the field and and you you talked about your lack of comfort with moving twenty five times or fifty times or however many times. But imagine Jack having to like call his wife and say, like, all right, we're we're moving to I don't ne- <laughs> puxitani. I The New York Times said few careers have been anything like Jack Lazorco's and I think that we can agree. <laughs>
0: No doubt about it, David. This is, uh, how can you call it? Uh, Yes, an unmatched career uh, for for sure. And a great story. So thank you. And thank you to all of you listening at home. If you've ever played baseball with Santa Claus, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at tops 1988 Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week.